When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. I'm here with Moncaper Conte and Jeff Ihaza, and we're going to talk about the year in hip-hop so far. We're actually halfway into the year, so we can look back. We already ran a list overall of the best albums of 2021 so far, but it seemed like a good time to look back just at rap stuff. Mankapur, you specifically, maybe we should start with your two picks, your personal picks for Song of the Summer. Sure, yeah. And interestingly enough, the songs that have really started to define my season, you know, getting out a little bit more, feeling a little bit safer to be out in the world. Those two, the two songs I'm hearing the most and hearing the most excitement about have actually been out since like October. Their Essence by Wizkid featuring Thames, who is, uh, a lot of folks knew, know Wizkid as a sort of Afro pop star from Nigeria. Thames is a burgeoning star, um, from Nigeria as well. Um, and the other song is Quicksand by Murray, who is from North Carolina. I'm driving around more, I'm hearing them on the radio, I'm seeing debates on Twitter about DJs not playing Essence at parties as much as they should, and both of them are really capturing sort of like the levity that's come back for some people, you know? Yeah, I, I saw a DJ saying that in three months, people were going to be saying like, can you please stop playing Essence because he's playing it so much. Uh, so it's definitely, it's definitely out there. I mean, what is it about those, those two songs for you? Well, with Essence, I think it, Essence is like vibey, right? Like it's laid back. Uh, it has this Afro-Caribbean feel to it. It feels very summery and chill. Quicksand is a little bit more up-tempo. It's fun, but it has these guitars that have this like summery feel to it. And Murray um, is like sing rapping in this really interesting cadence and has a really strong, beautiful voice. And it's just a really cool bout of storytelling. And whenever I'm at cookouts or at parties, kickbacks, like those are the songs that I know people want to hear. Murray is really a brand new artist. I think he's on the J. Cole album, which we'll talk about. But this is actually, this is like his debut single. What, what do we know about him as an artist? have just gotten to know Murray recently. Um, he is from Fayetteville, I believe, just like J. Cole. And Quicksand was up even like around March 2020, according to some reports. And then it got re-released as his like first official single later in October. And he just really seems like a fun, like earnest guy. Jeff, do you have picks uh, for Song of the Summer? <laughs> I haven't been out as much to really have a sense of what people are listening to. I will say that, like, when I, you know, gather together with people, I have been on a pretty big Southern rap tip. I'm thinking specifically of, there's a Chase B, OMB Bloodbath, 
I think Maxo is in it and Ken the Man is also in it. Um, it's called For Me. Yo, Chase B. And that song must have come out sometime 2020, and it has these really like deep and bouncy drums that I think you know you hear on a lot of Megan songs, and you're hearing in a lot of like to baby songs, these sort of punch you in the face style drums, and that to me has been making me feel most excited to be out in the summer, just a kind of like very at home, but like. You know, it's not quite the club. It's not quite chill at home listening, like doing nothing. It's like this in-between post-COVID energy of, you know, you're having a house party and there are a bunch of people there and it's got a much more, um, a much more subtle feeling to it than I think some of the more obvious club bangers. Other than that, I think the entire DJ Khaled album. I mean, I don't know that it's like the greatest in terms of music, but I think it's like, I, I can really imagine hearing... <laughs> Wait, he specifically said they're the greatest. I don't understand. I, Khaled is pretty clear about that. I think sometimes it's hard, you know, when you, you want to speak it into existence. You know, the DJ Khaled record was, was exactly what people, I think, expect from him. But, you know, he's really good at creating earworms. And I still think about the Her and Migo song on that album and how I'll wake up in the morning and it's in my mind. Oh, 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 oh. DJ Khaled! So, you know, I think Song of Summer is like an interesting thing to me where it's not always the song that I like the most. Sometimes it's the song that I just can't not think about. That makes sense. I also like how you've picked songs that are like for cautious return vibes, like not fully back, but like coming back. There is that thing of the COVID time warp that there's these songs from 2020 that are now only now getting to live their lives in the club. It's going to be interesting to see how that kind of affects things and how we if looking back, I think it's probably already confirmed that people are going to see this year as a weird mix of music from last year and this year, right? It's that weird thing. I also think so many people push back their releases that everything is getting so jumbled up where I think we're going to have a lot more albums come out in the second half of the year, and it might be overwhelming for fans, in, in all honesty. Moncapur made a a great list of just some of the best songs of the year. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty dead on. I'm going through what she put down and, it, you know, there's... Uh, so Migos came back. The song that we have here is Avalanche. Papa was a rolling stone, but now I got rolling stones in the bezel. Mama at home all alone, hustling, trying to keep the shit... But the whole album is, uh, is worthwhile. We were going to talk about just the interesting place that Migos are at right now. I think it was Justin Charity who wrote the piece about the the weird sense in which they seem uh, rather more geriatric than they should, given how young they are and how, I think, yeah, it was Justin, he wrote that, uh, when did Migos become a nostalgia act for millennials? Which might be slightly exaggerated, but how how do you two see that? I mean, obviously this is a, a young, vibrant act, but rap moves fast they've been around for a while and so talking about that song and also just where they are in the culture as you see it yeah i mean so avalanche is the first song on the album and quavo just kind of comes out the gate swinging on it there's no beat build up there's no time to just kind of get a feel for the song he's like immediately rapping and i think that that is exciting for me and like brings the energy that i need and like listening to an act acts that are five ten years old like 
even I think about Migos a little bit like how I think about Drake in that there's a tension for me in being drawn to artists where there's a lot of familiarity because they've been around for a while and also kind of like less impressed and like setting them at like a higher bar. I had like giving them a higher bar to clear because there is so much other stuff happening and because we are so used to hearing them. I think the Migos kind of cleared that bar for me on a lot of Culture 3 because the music is good, because it's not as bloated as Culture 2, because they're sharp, they're witty, they're like going in and really, I think, putting in a lot of effort into building a, a project that people want to hear now. But yeah, I definitely do think of often about like how long legacy acts like Drake and what the Migos are becoming, uh, how long they'll be able to stand up in hip hop. I was watching the Hawks game recently with some friends at a restaurant and like Bad and Bougie starts playing. You know, people are still thinking about older Migos tracks as like sort of like the pinnacle of their artistry. It's every artist, this sort of reward, unfortunately, you get for sticking around is being called a, a legacy act and having to compete against yourself if you're the, if you're Migos having to compete against Bad and Bougie, which is tough. And, and not just competing against it musically, but competing against the impact it was able to have when they were fresh and new. It's really hard and, and harder in rap than any other genre, arguably, which is not fair, but it's just kind of the way it is. Jeff, how do you see that all that? Yeah, you know, I feel I feel quite similarly. I think for me, I never got as excited about Migos as I think the majority of hip-hop fans did. I found them kind of always a little bit frustrating and a little too, you know, like easily identifiable. Like it almost felt like a one-trick pony to me, um, which was a very unpopular opinion when, you know, Versace came out and they were really going on a run. <laughs> so it's more like you're, you're feeling vindicated now. It's, it's, it's more, more I mean, maybe, maybe, right? But I think, you know, I think with acts like that, and it's really interesting, right, about the Drake comparison because... I think Drake, when he first came out, was doing something that a lot of people weren't doing. He was integrating singing into rapping. He was being vulnerable on songs in a way that most rappers weren't being at the time. And, you know, I think where he has succeeded in being kind of in the game for as long as he has is that he's been able to kind of morph that in various different stages of his career. You go from Take Care to So Far Gone to Scorpio. You know, he's had all these different kind of iterations. He's very good at experimenting and bringing new things to the fore. And, you know, with an act like Migos, I think at this point for me, I almost feel like a frustration at how focused they are at kind of, you know, honing in on the very specific thing that they do. I think Avalanche is a great track. I think it's a great Migos track. I think it's all of the members of the group doing exactly their role exactly as well as they can. But, you know, when you think about an act, you know, aging in, in the game or just you know, being in the game longer, it's just like sports. You know, if you're if you're really good, but you don't adapt and you don't try to think about the way the game is being played currently, you know, I can't I can't be that excited to see you do the same thing you were doing in the '90s. It just doesn't it doesn't hit the same. I think what you're saying is really interesting. And and if I could introduce a rock analogy, Drake is more like David Bowie. Like he evolves, he just changes constantly. There's a chameleon aspect to him where he can seemingly adapt to any trend, whether it's like Blueface rapping off beat, he'll start doing that. I mean, he can just, he really has this amazing ability to do that. And Migos, it seems like they're going to be more like ACDC, who's a band who made the same album like 35 times. Uh, but people still love it, and they're really good at making that album and making that music. So I think there are models 
for longevity that, that are different. But it is pretty clear that Migos aren't going to suddenly like totally change. I think at this point in their career, they're literally tripling down on what they do and doing it well. And so I think that's it's 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 definitely interesting. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Which actually brings us to the uh, the Drake song on the list, which is "What's Next," and that's him rapping over what I believe was uh, originally it was originally meant to be a quote Playboy Cardi type beat is what it was named in the file he got, and so it's super again super interesting that that's what he the the producer was was shocked that Drake chose that beat. The willingness to reinvent himself on like sort of almost a minute to minute basis continues to to fascinate me. Yeah, and I think that What's Next is a really good example of Drake doing that well, like adapting to sort of like a popular sound and really owning it and performing well with it. I'm making a change today. The liquor been taking the pain away. I heard you was giving your chain away. That's kind of like giving your fame away. Um, I think a little bit back to, and I can't even remember what point in quarantine this was, but when Tuesday Slide came out and I was just like, this is a really unimpressive attempt to me at like a TikTok yeah. dance. Um, and so it's nice to hear, it's nice to think about that in comparison to what's next, which really, you know, is one of my favorite songs, probably my favorite song on Scary Hours too. Yeah, I mean, what's next is Drake firing at all cylinders. And I think what's really cool about the chameleon aspect for him is, you know, as much as it's been a thing that people have said throughout his career that he's biting or he's trying to steal younger styles, you know, it never reads that way to me. It always really seems like someone who's genuinely like, oh, this is what kids are rapping like now? That's crazy. Let me try that. There's a curiosity about the creative process for him that is just really refreshing and exciting. I mean, I think back to the summer when Drake found I Love McConan with Tuesday and just how left field of an artist that is for the biggest superstar in the world to go and make a remix of his song. I think that just speaks to a different and different level of engagement with what you're doing and how you're doing it that makes you, you know, consistently exciting. I find it really funny that Drake was looking for Cardi type beats. I think one thing that we could talk about here, even though the album came out on Christmas, which was five days before the year started, technically. But I think Playboy Cardi's, you know, whole lot of red is, it's something about it is like creeping up to me that I think there's going to be an inflection point of that album kind of making sense to a lot more people. Well, Jeff, it's actually impressively, you predicted at the end of last year when we spoke about this, that the Cardi album would end up being influential. And, and you know, what better, what better proof that Drake would jump on it? Yeah, I mean, even, you know, there's the Trippy Red and Cardi song, Miss the Rage, that had all of this conversation around it just as an idea before it had even come out. And I think there's something really interesting happening on, on that tier of hip hop, whether it's like Reddit rap or whatever you want to kind of think of it as, where this sort of heavy electric, heavy, like grungy sort of thing. Kids, I think, are figuring out a new way to play with those sounds that I find really interesting. So then there is a Megan Thee Stallion song and Megan continues to be probably just overall my favorite rapper uh, for a, a long time right now. 
she became my favorite rapper a while ago and is hasn't really left the spot. Hands on my knees, shaking on my thigh. Post me a pic, finna make me a profit. When the liquor hit, then the get toxic. Uncle Per, do you want to talk about that song a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it was such a welcome return for me hearing Megan, you know, on her first solo single since her album came out last year. And she's rapping just as well as ever. She's smart. She's funny. She's witty. And she paired a really good song with a what I think is a phenomenal music video. Um, and one of the things Megan has been doing over the past year, and if not more, is really confronting negative forces in her life, whether it is the death of her mom and grandmother, whether it's uh, making public allegations against Tory Lanez after a shooting incident, and whether it's writing an op-ed for the New York Times about defending Black women and the ways in which we as Black women face inequities. And so with Thought Shit, her new song, in the video, it seems like a direct jab at all the sort of political conversation about her and Cardi B's sexuality with WAP the demonization that she faces, just the critique and the obsession with her body that doesn't always come from a positive place. Um, but then it's also this really interesting theme of uplifting working class women in a time where so many people are really, really struggling because of the ramifications of the pandemic. All the women that are in the video that are torturing this awful politician um, seem to be like working class women. They're secretaries, they're in grocery stores, they're in the medical field. And so I was so excited when that video dropped. It gave me so much energy and I'm really excited to continue to hear Megan do what she does best. I think we were talking earlier, you know, about artists that kind of stay in a lane, but dominate in it. And I think that that's Megan. There was some conversation about why Megan doesn't rap about a broader range of subjects. And I think if you're one, if you're listening to Megan, she's confronting the things that happen in her life to an extent. But, you know, she she has a lot of pride in herself and her raps showcase that in different ways every time. Absolutely. Jeff, any thoughts on this track? Yeah, I mean, I think what's so interesting about Megan right now is, you know, I think her and Cardi B were probably two of the most saturated, media-saturated artists throughout the pandemic. I think there was so much conversation around them. There were so many cover stories and so many articles. And, you know, to watch her kind of absorb all of that and kind of return with thought shit, return with the video, as Mockaper says, that, you know, so perfectly encapsulated that entire experience. I think she she is an artist, like, coming into herself in, in one of the most impressive ways publicly that I think we've seen in a really long time. You know, as we were talking about with Migos, where it's like, you know, you get really big doing one thing and get good at it. I think Megan has really proven that she can absorb and kind of metabolize new experiences as a result of that fame and then also create new art out of it. And that's really something to see because that shit did so much that so many artists have tried to do about the same issues. And within two years of really being big on the scene, she did it better than anyone has up to this point. Let's talk about Isaiah Rashad, who has this song Lay With You. And he, he's like a TDE artist. Uh, he's been around for a while. He's really good. Maybe not as big a name as some of the other people on the list, but he, you know, he, he's been around. I love the production on this track. Michael Perry, you want to talk about that one a little bit? Yeah, it was just such a welcome return after a pretty long hiatus. His last album came out in 2016. 
And it was so exciting to see Isaiah Rashad kind of come back with a song that kind of felt uncharacteristic of the music that a lot of us as fans have like grown to love. It's booming. It's something that you would like play riding out to like a cookout, you know, or maybe once you got there. Duke Deuce is in it, who has so much energy and is a fantastic dancer and really brought this like crunk energy to the song. It makes me want to move. And that's not really how I've often thought about Isaiah Rashad's music. And so, you know, he has an album on the way. And I think that this was a good, a really good way to get folks re-excited about him. Maybe it's going to be like his damn, like the album where he combines what he does with a sort of more commercial, danceable kind of thing. Next up, we have a tie between two songs by Young Stoner Life, which is a Young Thug thing. Ski and came and saw. We don't have to choose. We can talk about both. Tell me how you had trouble choosing between these two and what you love about them. Sure. So I think Ski, you know, is like the commercial hit. There was an internet dance challenge that a bunch of Young Thugs peers took uh, part in, like Future and Drake, which was mostly awkward, but like kind of entertaining. I do this shit with no pressure. Run up the back and put up the extra. You cannot step with the steppers. But Ski, you know, it's a great song. It reminds me a lot of um, Surf from So Much Fun. It's just like a fun, like, YSL rap song. But I think, and I think it's like the more predictable song from uh, an album that made a lot of noise, but I think was front-loaded with the better music. Um, Slime Language 2 was. But there's this other song called Came and Saw that uh, has... Thug and Rowdy Rebel. Rowdy Rebel is a New York rapper, Bobby Shmurda affiliate. And he was released from prison at the end of 2020. And Bobby Shmurda, um, not too long after that, at the top of this year. And Rowdy Rebel came out with uh, really impressive music after his release. And so I really love seeing him included on this compilation album. And, you know, the beats produced by Wheezy, who's a longtime thug and YSL affiliate, who's like racked up a really deep, impressive list of production credits. And it's just like rough and it's intimidating, but it's fun. Like, it's probably my favorite song on the album. Yeah, yeah. Press I want for sure, you gonna need three promoters. I got the battery from Jamelis. And Jeff, I know you have Young Thug on the brain lately. What do you want to say about where he's at? He He's someone who whose relevance never seems to dip. Yeah, I mean, for one, I, I love Ski. I like the dance. I like the whole moment. Um, you know, every now and again, something, something you know, so patently handcrafted to be popular is. And it's really nice when it kind of works out that way. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, Young Thug is... is he, he is responsible for so much of the way hip-hop sounds right now. And if we're, you know, even thinking more broadly, I think the way contemporary popular music sounds, I think he brought mm-hmm. so much of a different energy, so much of a like purely guttural and, you know, not id driven, but very, very physical style of, of, of creating music that, you know, mm-hmm. we haven't seen in a really long time. You know, if you think about all of the inflections that he was doing with his voice early on, you know, there was no reference point for that. I think when you hear a lot of new rappers, even now, even kids, they're doing something interesting that calls back to something else or that calls to an influence that most rappers don't have. Right. So Playboy Cardi is influenced by punk and, you know, we haven't had a lot of rappers influenced by punk, but with someone like Young Thug, he is inventing in real time. And I think 
that is such a such a profound kind of position to be in. And you know, I think he he's someone else who faces the the Migos challenge where he has defined so much and he has become such a figure that it's hard to imagine him reinventing still at this point, despite him being relatively young. I think he's like a year older than me or something. And, you know, it's, it's very cool to see the directions and the surprises that he does. I think the biggest song of last year was Go Crazy, which was like a collab album with him and Chris Brown, which there's a lot to get into with that. But it's hard to predict Young Thug, and I think that makes him an endlessly interesting artist. And let's talk about Still Running by Lil Durk and Lil Baby and Meek Mill's on it as well. Yeah, so that's off of Lil Durk and Lil Baby's collaborative album that came out pretty recently. And there are songs on that album that I think are more powerful. Like I wrote about Rich Off Pain that features Rod Wave um, and how the central tragedy in that song is that these two artists that their ascent in the music world is kind of like aided by really rough lives that they've had. And I think it's a significant song, but Still Running is like a song that I enjoy listening to more. It it It's called Still Running and it has that energy. Like the song also sort of like Avalanche just sort of like picks up and goes. Meek Mill is rapping really, really well on it. He's the featured uh, artist on the song. Um, it's really high energy. It's bold. Um, and it, uh, I think, encapsulates the power that all three of these rappers can bring to a track. And there's also body remix. English, English girl named Fiona. African girl Adiola. Body body shape like cola. Back up, back up, hey, come closer. Featuring way too many people. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, no, featuring like way. I'm not even going to read all those people. But Russ Millions and, and Tian Wayne. Uh, I like that song. Tell me about it. Yeah, so. Body, the re- there's been several remixes of it, just like, uh, it kind of reminds me of Spottam Ghanem's Beatbox, where there's a lot of different versions of this song that came out in like a short period of time. Um, but this version is my favorite, partially because it bridges these worlds of like Brooklyn Drill and like UK Drill because Fabio Foreign is on it. And he's, I think, the only American on the track. All the other rappers are from uh, throughout England. And then I also love that Darko was on it. And she is a British rapper who can also at times like bring in African influences into her music. She has this really cool song called Gangster that I've been listening to a lot for probably maybe like a year or so now. And so I thought it was a, a cool collection of people. And I think UK rap is so interesting. There's a lot of really cool women in the UK rap scene. And so I just I liked that this version of the song didn't neglect to include one of them. And there is this phenomenon, since you brought it up, of the, this this song, uh, Beatbox, the Spot em, Got em song, the remix situation. <laughs> that That's a big thing. Ex- explain what's going on with that. Well, with this particular song, the original dropped, uh, I became aware of it in 2020, but there's been remixes with The Baby, with Lotto, Young M.A., Polo G., and... Um, it's they're not remixes in a sense where something new is happening production wise. It's literally just new verses from new people layered with <laughs> Spot and Gotham's verse. And my favorite one of them, though, is probably Shensia's. She's a Jamaican dancehall pop artist. 
and she is rapping, or I don't know if we should consider it toasting in like the Jamaican style. That's like the forerunner to rap, but she's just going really hard. And it's, it's so unique to me compared to a lot of the other versions of the song that had come out. So that one definitely tops my list, but between February and May, there were a handful of versions of beatbox. And I think we're up to no names rainforest. How you get closer to love? How you eliminate all your sadness when you open it up? How you make excuses for billionaires you broke on a bus? Honey niggas around me. I think sometimes it, it frustrates No Name herself that her music is so accessible and likable. I think almost she would she would like it to be as challenging as she'd like her politics to be, and yet people who don't agree with her politics just like are like loving the music. And sometimes I think that frustrates her, especially when she looks out in her audiences, at least a couple years ago. But uh, she's so good. And there's a lot going on there. I read your, your piece. So just maybe explain wh- where she is career-wise and this this great song, Rainforest. I think that Rainforest is a really cool song because she is taking all this public learning that she's been doing about imperialism, capitalism, white supremacy, and really channeling it into something that sounds danceable, something that it's intertwined with this sort of romantic arc in the song. Um, but it's very plainly like, how do you make excuses for millionaires when you're broke on a bus? You know, like, I think it's probably leaning towards some of her more accessible music, in my opinion. And I, I think she provides a really interesting model of an anti-capitalist rap artist. I don't know. I don't know how often we've seen that. And uh, she, I think she's figuring it out. And I think the song is kind of like a testament to her figuring it out and taking that learning that she's doing with her book club, that she's doing on Twitter and sharing with people and channeling it into her music, which is the reason why so many of us fell in love with her in the first place. Yeah, she's like dropping nods to the book, The Wretched of the Earth. There's a lot There's a lot going on there. But as you said, and it's like also just this like super pleasant, inviting, head nodding, just great song she's i mean she's just so gifted musically I and mean, there's so always so much going on with the jazziness and melody of her flow and stuff it's just but then right to embed such a complex and hard fought on her part with all this uh research she's been doing messages is pretty impressive jeff where do you fall on it yeah i think it's been a very interesting past few years for independent musicians in general but i think particularly independent rappers you know because the no name song is so clearly a hit. You know, if anyone else had released it and had gotten the sort of giant label push, we would have just never stopped hearing it anywhere. But, you know, even similar to the Spot and Gotham phenomenon where, you know, you have the baby and you have all these other remixes, then you get this dance hall artist who actually makes the best remix. I think we're, we're really existing in a time now where artists are more aware of the fact that they can make just as good of a song and retain, you know, everything personally and intellectually that matters to them. Um, and I think it's really exciting to see. I think it's it's very cool to watch an artist like No Name subvert so many of the systems that we have come to think of as endemic to making music publicly. And like, it's like everyone says, you know, it's like the flow is so just perfect and crispy and the beat and the production is so just like, it does, it's not backpack rap despite, you know, the message in it and despite you know, the themes and the references, it's, it's a purely good, it's a rap hit, you know, and the fact that you can be independent, be interested in anti-capitalism, be interested in preserving some level of integrity to your art, 
and make a rap hit in 2021 is really cool. It's undeniably great. You cannot make the case against it. LVRN Cypher, which has a lot of people on it. Hey, hold up. Yeah, so um, LVRN or Love Renaissance, you know, label out of Atlanta. Um, they also manage some artists. And I really liked this uh, song because particularly because Westside Boogie, who's been rapping for a while, is managed by LVRN and has been releasing these cool freestyles for the past couple of months. Like he freestyled over Moneybag Yo's uh, Said Some Beat, Whoopty by C. DJ, but I, those songs, you know, are on YouTube. And so it was nice for me to hear the charisma and the talent that he brings to those freestyles um, into something that I can listen to on Spotify. <laughs> and of course, he's accompanied by Black, BRS Cash, OBM Bloodbath, who uh, Jeff has mentioned. But it's just like fun rapping for rapping's sake. You know, like they're trading bars in this cypher and it goes on for quite a while. And it's just really pleasant to watch people enjoy the sport of rapping. Wanted to touch on some of the albums of note. There was a, a new J. Cole album. You reviewed it and, and uh, said that he was playing it a little safe and uh, holding back on social critiques. We were talking about No Name earlier and he there was a, a he he didn't have his greatest moment perhaps in uh, the song Snow on the Bluff and then some Twitter back and forth. Not awesome for him, and he's, he was kind of coming off of that. Maybe place this album in context and place this moment in his career in context. Yeah, I think, first of all, not everyone, right, has to have, like, sharp intellectual social critique. I think it's interesting, though, because J. Cole is often thought about someone who does. Um, and in the beginning of Snow on the Bluff, he kind of tries to dispel that understanding about him. And Snow on the Bluff, of course, was a song that was released last year that seemed to find him maybe defending himself and speaking to another person about the ways in which to get people involved in a movement through their art. And it seemed as though he was responding to the rapper No Name. I think after that, you know, there wasn't a ton of J. Cole music and the off season came out and he's rapping really well on it. But it seemed like after a year in which there was so much turmoil around race in America, around blackness in America, around policing in America, that there, it was interesting to me that there were no traces of commentary or, or maybe indirect traces of commentary, um, that was particularly like social in nature. Maybe that's just not what he's on right now, but I couldn't help but connect it to the snow on the bluff debacle. But all that aside, like, it's a fine album. It's, it's a, he, J. Cole is a really intricate rapper. He's only gotten better with time. The production on the album is pretty cool. Uh, there's just nothing that he, there's few things that he says on, uh, the off season that really like stop me in my tracks and be like, wow, that was sharp. That was smart. That was insightful. But I think the, the rhyme schemes, the pattern of his bars are, are super impressive. The diversity in his flows across it is really impressive. It just wasn't very revealing to me. And I think that that's something that people have come to like expect or like value in J. Cole. I mean, I, I tend to be impressed by his technical ability and I do enjoy listening to his music. And on this album, I thought there were things I thought were really moving. Let Go My Hand 
where he sings about like a moment when his son let go of his hand and reminded him about how you know kids are gonna go away one day. Today my son said, "Dad, let go of my hand." Reminded me one day he's gonna be his own man, and my job is to make sure he's equipped. I gotta make sure he not no. Bitch. And I think it's the same song where he talks about the confessional stuff about never really being that tough, and then he says his, his most recent fight was with the Puff Daddy, which is uh, very interesting. I, I want, I want, I want to know more about this Sean Combs uh, fist fight he apparently had. But uh, you know, at the same time, and this brings us to Jeff. I, I do listen that you know the word. If there's an adjective you hear applied to J. Cole, it uh, I guess corny would be the one that you hear a lot. And not everyone is a fan. Um, Jeff, uh, maybe, maybe you could weigh in to the extent you'd want to on, on your <laughs> feelings about J. Cole. I mean, it's hard because, look, like point blank, I just don't like his music. I never have. It's never been something that has spoke to me in any meaningful way. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, I would go as far, I remember when the off season came out and it was really funny actually, because I was literally getting the first haircut that I'd gotten in, you know, year or all, all of COVID. So it was my first time like sitting in a barber chair and like engaging with like the world in that way again. And, you know, they've just got the album on a loop and it was torture. I, I really don't like the way that he raps. I don't like, I don't like the the wordplay. I find the wordplay the most like frustrating with J. Cole because, and I think it's very connected to the, you know, the, the posturing of this political revolutionary that he did spend a, long, a large part of his career cultivating. You know, the first several J. Cole releases were establishing this person as, you know, smarter than your favorite rapper, smarter than and more well-read than and more interested in politics than your mainstream, you know, SoundCloud, you know, mumble rap, you know, it was mumble rap versus J. Cole was the main dynamic that, you know, he engaged in. And when you pay attention to what he's saying, there, it's just, it's, it's not there. The, the intellectual, you know, rigor is not there. And I think like, it's a much more damning critique to me than I think a lot of other people who are kind of like, well, you know, it's fun, whatever. But to me, it's like to spend so much time establishing yourself as the smartest man in rap and then you're like misusing words on your album. That to me is like really not okay and I can't get past it. That said, that said, you know, I think there are a lot of moments I, you know, uh, let go of my hand is a, is a big one where I think, you know, the confessional elements are compelling. I'm not moved necessarily because, you know, the idea of I'm watching my little kid who's going to grow up and, you know, not need me one day is just not uncharted water, but it's compelling. It's not new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is compelling. It's compelling to see someone at least dig into themselves that way. And I think that's, that's cool. Um, to avoid any controversy, I would just say J Cole, is just not for me. That's how I would put it. Yeah. I, I, I will say that, that I find wet dreams to be one of the cringiest songs ever perhaps the cringiest song ever made, but uh, you know, that's a, there's a lot of competition, but so I, I, I see both sides here. <laughs> Young Thug, uh, the London where he just has the, he says the worst thing. I could put something on your sonogram. Oh. <laughs> it's just like, dude, what? <laughs> I do. I want to make sure we have time to talk about this Topaz Jones album. Don't go telling your mama. Uh, if you bring her home to mama, bet she'll never approve. Plus, she love to ask about the one who you've been exclusive with. Cross her, that could be the nail of your crucifix. I really like this album. Manka Per, I know you, he also, I, I haven't actually seen the film, but it's apparently incredible. I read your interview with him and I read 
other stuff, I, I, it's it's apparently just as good as the album, and the album is amazing. Yeah, I saw the film before I heard the album. So I heard some of the music through the film, but the film is really its own entity. It's definitely guided by the music and um, the themes in it, but it really, it stands on its own legs. And so I think that throughout both the film and the album, Topaz Jones is doing a really incredible job of connecting the common threads of his adolescence as like a young black guy growing up in New Jersey and also the like joys and the struggles of being a black adult man. I thought that the film was just so beautiful and elevated the music. So when I listened to the music after just sat and listened to the album without watching it, I was able to to better pick up on the themes, appreciate the funkiness of it, appreciate his skill as a rapper I think it's going to stand up at the end of the year as one of the best releases. Jeff, you can explain to us why it's actually corny and bad. No, I love the record. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Topaz is one of those people who just is, you know, kind of the opposite of what I was just describing about J. Cole, where the intellectual curiosity is so fiery in him. And, you know, even reading Wonka piece, he has this out, he has this song that kind of blows up and he's what, 19 at the time. And most people in that position don't spend the next three years finding themselves from ages 19 to, you know, 22. Most people don't dig into what makes them who they are, how they are related in their, you know, familial sense and also in their community and in the country and in the world and in in an almost metaphysical sense of, of how it all connects. And I think watching a young artist take these giant swings at really big and heavy topics and then connecting it all together with a film that is so impressive. Like, you know, it really does stand next to Lemonade as a visual album of just really, really strongly and clearly and coherently putting together very complicated ideas, very complex notions of the self and how how it relates to, you know, creating music and creating art and generational trauma. I think that kid is going to go so far and it's really amazing to see how young he is doing this already and everything the funk influences and just the it's a very different sounding album very fresh sounding album i think there's moments where it might remind older listeners vaguely of like de la so or something else that's really light and like it's just really really good i'd really recommend it so one of the no doubt biggest albums of the year is Paul D's Hall of Fame. Caught the BMW, new deposit, I picked up another bag. Like, fuck it, I'm a count while I'm in it. I have planes flying across. We've t- actually talked about Paul G on, on the show before. But, uh, Jeff, maybe you can just say a, a bit about his place in things right now. Um, well, Paul G is the biggest artist in the world. Um, it's, it's really interesting how he has risen over the past few years. I think there's this kind of vulnerable sound that you hear in a lot of contemporary rap right now. You think of like Mooski's song, um, track star, which is, you know, another really huge track. Um, and you know, you can all trace it back to Polo G who was creating these really, really somber, emotional, but also, you know, very hard hitting records for, for years up to this point. And I think the, the rap star moment is so cool because, you know, I, I did some research when that song was going up, and the biggest cities that it was popular in were like Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Cleveland, Ohio. I think there's a city in Tennessee as well. And 
it just speaks to the way that that particular style of rap connects with so many different audiences. And I think there have been conversations around how country music and rap are, are experiencing this interesting crossover moment. And I think it's really cool because if you really think about like country music, it's these really, really, you know, well done narratives about personal struggle or love or heartbreak or whatever. And to kind of bring that ethos into rap and what young black men go through in the world and to make that connection, you know, across the globe and become one of the biggest artists out right now. You know, I think it's a real it's no small feat. I think he, he has really accomplished something in connecting so many different audiences together and staying so true to himself that is a you know he's a once in a generation kind of artist well said and i think that's probably our show for today there's uh, so much more to talk about but jeffy haza and manka per conte thank you so much for joining me that was great and we'll be back next week here on sirius xm volume channel 106 in the meantime we are a podcast rolling stone music now is a podcast download us as a podcast Subscribe to us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe leave us a nice review on iTunes. Always appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.